0: No matter what level of support you're offering, like if you're pressuring people to make a decision and you're causing people to buy things that they really don't need and that won't solve their problems, like they're not gonna come. They're just not.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Emily Reagan, and you've discovered Unicorns Unite. This is a podcast for freelancers, service providers, virtual assistants, and curious listeners who would like to experience the freedom and flexibility of working virtually. We're the magic makers, movers and shakers, and the real people doing the work behind the scenes of online businesses. Welcome to Unicorns Unite. Before we jump into the podcast, here's a message I want you to hear. If you're a virtual marketing assistant, it's not just enough to understand the technology. It's not enough to be in the minutiae of your client's business. The expectation now is that you can write supporting copy for your client's thought leadership. Every business right now is marketing around ideas, concept, and dreams, and you have to be able to help your clients articulate this in order to make any kind of money and deliver value as a marketing assistant. You have to understand basic copywriting to be successful. Do you need to learn how to write a novel? No. Do you need to set your services up as a copywriter? No. Do you need to be able to write a complete long-form sales page? No. But you need to know how to sell yourself as a writing assistant, be able to write blog posts, show notes, social media captions, client emails, pull quotes, Email sequences, you need to be somebody who can support a business owner's dream with skilled copy. And that's why I convinced my friend, copywriter, Michelle Hunter, to reopen her virtual writer course. There's only 20 spots. If you want in, join the waitlist at emilyreaganpr.com/slash virtual writer. That link is in the show notes. Now let's move on to our episode. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Emily Reagan, a fellow freelancer. I've been in the gig since 2009, and I love to help my digital marketing freelancers and virtual assistants up-level with copywriting skills. If you start edging into copy, you are able to sell and market yourself. Plus, we need copywriting to help our clients. We're constantly whipping out landing pages, emails, sequences, show notes, social media posts and quick emails to our clients' customers. So I want you to get better at copywriting, and so we have brought in a few phenomenal experts. Last week on the show, Laura Belgray. The episodes before that, we had Kim Kill, Amy Leisner, and Marisa Corcoran. Today, I have an email marketing expert in the house to talk about email marketing. We're going to cover a lot of different things today, and Tarzan is quickly getting you up to speed on her story about how she built a million-dollar business and then tore it all down. I think it's important that you hear this as a digital marketing assistant and figure out what you can bring back to your clients to help them not make these same mistakes and get better with their copy. First, let me read her bio. Tarzan Kay teaches email marketing skills to online businesses, digital course creators, and freelance service providers. She came into her career writing copy for popular programs in the online marketing space and some pretty big names. And she very soon created her own programs teaching business owners how to write story powered emails and sell using the principles of persuasion. Tarzan has spent the last three years slowly dismantling her seven figure boss babe empire and unlearning the systems of influence and indoctrination that were taught to her as a new business owner. Okay, I'm going to call it out. She's specifically talking to. All of the training that really stems from Jeff Walker, who's teaching people how to launch As a person in recovery from cults and coercive control, Tarzan is keenly aware of how the use of Cialdini's principles of persuasion can cause harm, especially in the coaching industry. She has now dedicated her work to undoing that harm and teaching sales strategies that leave space for conversation and critical thinking. This is so important because we've touched on this with the episode with Brittany McBean talking about launch emails, with Kim Keel talking about that fifth C of copywriting, which is compassion, giving our audience time and space to make a decision that's best for them, it only benefits our business. We want to attract the most right fit and ready student customer client for our clients. It does us no good to attract people who should not be spending the money, who aren't ready for the program, who joined out of over persuasiveness and coerciveness, right? So Tarzan today is going to peel back the layer a little bit about this. And I really like the info she gives about the style sheet we can create tapping into our client's values, going beyond their favorite emoji, but how they speak to people and what they stand for, using alt text to be inclusive, this is really big, and this will put you on a different playing field when you start thinking about your client's reputation. We're going to talk about email copy sequences, her favorite sequences, emails she can't live without, a little bit of the tech and behind the scenes, her workflow, and her all-star teammate Sandra Booker, who will be on the show in the near future. She's an OBM who also works for Laura Belgrade, who was on the show last week. And Laura talks about Sandra as well. So if you're like, who is this lady? It's the famous Sandra Booker. Cialdini has this book called The Six Principles of Persuasion. And that's what Tarzan is referencing for any of you who are new here. And I feel like it's my job to get you up to speed quickly so you're smart, so you're in the loop, so you can bring these ideas and just bring on that next level of service and marketing and assistance in your client's business as well. So yes, I have Robert Cialdini's book on my list of recommended copywriting books. You can still learn and read about it and create awareness. It's still a principle of copywriting that you need to know, but you have to be aware of when you're using it in the wrong way, when you're leaning into this unconscious bias, when you're leaning into your client's white privilege. All of this really matters. I really want a business that's inclusive, And I'm so honored that Tarzan opened up, shared her story about becoming a better person, evolving, and learning to be a leader. Your clients are going to be in this weak point too. If you have newer clients, they've only been in business a few years, they can find themselves in this spot where Tarzan is, and with you by their side, they can be better. So I know this series is about copywriting. There's a lot to learn here. You can get people to say yes for the program without forcing them, without overly influencing them and doing it in the right way. And you as a service provider listening to this, I don't want you to feel like the rush to go out and create a course and burst onto the scene. Have patience, my dear grasshopper. All right, let's jump into our interview. Hey, Torzan, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here today talking about email and email sequences. Tell everyone a little bit about you, fill us in and how you got started in this world.
0: I teach email marketing skills, very story-based style of email marketing. And I came up in my career as a copywriter and my business grew really fast. Like within three years, I had made like over a million dollars in my first three years in business and then had a million dollar year, which was like insane. In retrospect, it was like way too fast. And I was still like figuring out what I was doing. I was learning like very highly persuasive style of marketing and by highly persuasive, what I really mean is highly coercive. And I really didn't know, like, I I just thought I was like really good at marketing and I was just using the tools that were taught to me. And I was like going to conferences and taking tons of courses and writing email sequences and sales pages for other course creators and My business was just blowing up so fast. And then I got to a point where I realized that it didn't work this way for everyone. And I started listening more to people who were saying, like, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And I was told that those were just like, oh, well, you have imposter syndrome or like you have a money mindset problem. So I would tell people those things, too. And then at a certain point, I started like really actually taking that seriously and learning more about persuasion, how persuasion is used, and also how persuasion can also cross over into coercion. And from there, I started like really walking things back. So that started about three years ago of me like walking it way back and trying to figure out how to sell according to my own values, how to run a business that is not extractive because the model that we're taught in online business is highly extractive. It's a lot of pressure on people to make a decision very fast without having time to talk to any family members that may be affected or get an opinion from someone else in the industry. Like It's all really based on taking away a person's ability to think critically about their spending decisions. And I realized like I had been doing that and I had made a lot of money doing that. So, you know, the last three years have been figuring out how to do things differently. I went from having a very highly scaled business model and running up my email marketing program with hundreds of students and doing like large group calls now i only take 20 students i meet with them all individually they get one on one time they get very personalized feedback like i'm delivering in a really different way i have basically one person on my team but she has a team like she's my online business manager um so she takes care of all my customer service but i'm kind of a one person show although like i do want to say i know that your people are digital marketing assistants And I want to say with my online business manager, like we do discuss all of that together. Like I don't make promotional decisions very often by myself. Right now I'm working on a new website and she's very like involved in that process because I don't think those decisions really should be made alone. So this is like, you know, fun interview for me to talk to people who actually help with that. Oh my gosh, I feel like you just answered a bunch of my questions. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to
1: go backward. We'll have patience. And there's a bunch of stuff I want to touch on, but I want to go backward to that just like origin story again, just because so many people in my Mm. audience were doing one thing, had a baby break, had a different Mm. kind of career. They're going through a transition. And, you know, this online space has so many opportunities. So can you talk a little bit about that pivot? Because I feel like A, you were smart to do copywriting. We don't always have that like wherewithal. Mm. But like, what was that catalyst for you That Cause I know you've done other things in the past. My audience doesn't know that, but can you walk us through that transition and why you picked copywriting?
0: Yeah, it was a bit, like I didn't really know what copywriting was when I started out. Like I have known literally for my whole life that what I wanted to do was to be a writer. And when I learned about copywriting as a career, that that was even a thing like i didn't really know initially that it was different from content writing because i actually started out writing content okay but content writing i found was very low paid and not very interesting copywriting when i stumbled on that i thought oh this is a service that's directly tied to the sale so i can charge more for it i also enjoy it more and have like some natural talent in that area. So, but I took tons of courses to learn how to do it. And in my first year in business, there was this email marketing competition. And I was like, Oh, you know, like first year in business, you're sort of like, I was already full time, but I'm like fumbling at my desk, like not really knowing what I should be working on. And I like stumble on this contest. I'm like, Oh, I'll try this. And I won this contest and it introduced me to some people who introduced me to other people. So it was a really good stepping stone. And it also made me realize I do really love email as a medium. And so I decided to specialize in email and then further niche down into online courses. And then, you know, working with all these course creators, I realized like, wow, I'm kind of a linchpin here, Like the copy is so important for selling, like almost doesn't matter how good your product is. It's just really hard to sell if you can't write about it. So I thought, you know, this is a skill that I should really use to sell my own products. And that was smart of me as a money-making decision. However, what I didn't know at the time was I was also stepping into a leadership role And I was so green, like that was maybe two years into my, like maybe a year and a half into my business, I created my first course, which was called Email Empire. And it still exists somewhere. It's actually a pretty good beginner email marketing course, but I can't sell it because I'm like so green. But I really didn't have the skills at leadership. I didn't really know like what leadership was until like three years later, I was like, oh my God, I'm not equipped as a leader. And I think when people talk about imposter syndrome, it's because like they have been told everyone's an expert and they're like fumbling to lead people for the first time and actually haven't developed any leadership skills. Like, yes, you are going to feel like an imposter not because you are an imposter, but you don't actually have experience. And I guess we all have to get that experience somehow, somewhere. But when I look back, I'm like, you know, I was very green. I only knew my own experience as like a charismatic leader who has holds many dominant identities, like I was not equipped to be in a leadership role with people of color in my group, which I did have many, several women of color joining my programs. Like I did not know how to support them. I did not know anything about the unique challenges they would have. And, 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 like I was charging $10,000 for people to be in my programs. And I felt weird about it. And I did like you know, do tons of calls and add so many extra bells and whistles to feel like I was really giving the value. But actually, like, there was just an underlying problem, which was I I didn't really have that leadership ability. So I have worked on that a lot. And now, like, I still have, you know, lots of learning to do, but my leadership ability has improved dramatically. And I think it has improved dramatically by like listening to the experiences of others, like educating myself specifically about like inclusion, accessibility, like listening to and reading about the experiences of people who don't look like me and who do not hold the same identities, Um, like undoing my own like internal biases, you know, internalized racism, fat phobia, like all of these things that I just was really blissfully unaware of in my like, like, Oh, look, it's like, it's so easy. Like you just follow this system and do these things. Like that was a big wake up call when I realized like, Oh, Oh, um, it works for me because of these things.
1: So I, cause I can remember watching you a few years ago and my timeline's a little bit messy and like you Mm -hmm. did explode fast. So fast. And here I'm like telling myself this story like it reminds me to have patience and like to mm-hmm. enjoy this journey because sometimes it can be so frustrating and like you come from this place that our listeners are in as a service provider like you were doing the work and it's mm-hmm. not just like you go from zero to 100 like you know eight figure business CEO babe like right away right like it take, mm-hmm. it takes so much time to develop these skills and I mean it's taking me time just to develop my leadership skills with like my own team right and mm-hmm. I'm like I'm like three or four years in and you just made me feel better because I was like going like a snail over here. But my question for you, if you can talk about it, are you talking about your like your mastermind here when you're talking about like the $10,000? Oh, yes. with mm-hmm. you. Okay. What was that wake up call for you? Like, when did it really hit you? Because I feel like a lot has changed in mm-hmm. marketing in the last few years anyway. But like the timing of that is like makes me wonder, like, what was it?
0: Yeah, there was actually a moment and I hosted a live event in partnership with another copywriter and, you know, we were just doing the things that we like were told to do and what we had seen other people do. And so if your listeners, like if any of them have been to a live event, like an online marketing hype event, like, well, this could be a topic we could talk about or not talk about, but I've done a lot of work in cult recovery and one uh, sort of subcategory of cults and indoctrination and coercive, let's like, it falls under the umbrella of coercive control. It's called large group awareness training. So things like, oh, there's one that everybody knows, but they are like really litigious. So you can't even say their name publicly, but like, you know, a live event where they're selling like a product, like A lot of MLMs do large group awareness training, but there's also large group awareness training for like personal development companies and online business owners do them too. So I did that. And, you know, the type of event where it's like the first five people to run to the back of the room and like, yeah, those live events are really designed to like get you really excited, shut down your ability to think critically, you're cut off from your support system And, like, convince you to make decisions that you wouldn't normally make if you were, like, at home, you know, sitting around the dinner table. So I hosted one of those events. And, like, we did all the things. You know, there was, like, a fast action bonus if you buy before the end of the three-day event or two-day event or something. And we present – like, we didn't eat, like – Anyway, I won't get too much into that event because I have a lot of feelings about it. Yeah, However, you, yeah. the, the thing that, yeah, and I did write about it on, the, there's a blog post about it on my website. But after that event, one of the attendees wrote the co host and I an email. And she said, I would like to withdraw my application for your program. And I would also like to share my experience of your event as a brown Muslim woman. And she pointed out things like that our staff was all white. And she said, when I see not only our staff, but also our lineup of speakers. And she said, like, when I, you know, when I see that, I know that, you know, the character of the event and what's being taught will be you know, basically not for me, like it will be for people who look and talk like that. And she shared how she was treated at the event by other people. She shared, like, we did this, like, really, I didn't know what the word white savior like was or what that meant. But we had done this like presentation, like raising money to build schools for African children. And like, we really like, talked about like, Oh, like we want to build a school in the future. Like we were already like getting the brownie points for something we hadn't even done yet. And maybe should never have been doing like, you know, that's a whole other subject that I, to be honest, like I haven't figured out yet or done a lot of research on anyway, but like she was very clear in what her experiences were. And I don't know that I'd ever even heard the word unconscious bias but when I read that email, I was like, just totally and completely floored. It was like, I didn't even know that this existed within yeah. me. And like, now I have to freaking figure it out. Yeah. And so that was like, I guess that's coming up on four years ago now, but that was really the start. Like until then, like, I just thought that I was like really smart and really successful and really good at what I did. and Those things are true. However, you know, starting with unconscious bias, like that led me down a road that pointed me toward use of persuasion that like really caused me to start listening to like people with more marginalized identities and what they were saying about online business. And it just like, really built from there. And I made a lot of change. Like my business is completely different now. It's gone through a lot of different iterations, like based on what I'm learning and some things like just as an example, like right now in this iteration of my business, that's like very, it's like really tender and it's like really mine. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I don't think you can have a scaled digital course business. Like there was uh, some other factors, like I've also been through divorce and I just really needed my life to be simpler. Yeah. And like one thing that online marketing teaches us that is a lie is that we can do it all. You could be a mom and this could be like your side hustle or like, you know, you could have like all this free time to like live your dream life, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Like it's a job and it's a full-time job. And for a lot of people, it's way more than a full-time job. And as you know, like as you build a team, like there's a lot of pressures and demands and your job becomes something very different from what you started out as. Like, so my people are course creators and Many of them, like, they started out because they love a certain topic. They love teaching about it. They love talking about it. But very soon, like, that becomes, like, that's not even their job anymore. It's, like, actually, you have to, like, edit videos or, like... (laughs) make reels. Yeah. It's like,
1: because, like of this marketing freaking, and I love marketing. Yeah, yeah me too. It becomes such a hamster wheel. And I'm so glad you're bringing this up because no one's talking about it because it's not easy. And I don't want any service provider hearing this thinking like, that's the Holy grail. And that's what I have to do. No. So if I could go back to Emily three, four years ago, I would say, don't, I don't know if I would do the course. Like, I don't know if I would, mm-hmm. like knowing how much work it is now. I'm like, is it a lost mm-hmm. opportunity? Like, is it opportunity cost yeah. or sunken cost Or, you know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not, it's so put out there that it is this like promised land and it's just yeah. not what you think. And then you turned around and like descaled it, like you mm-hmm. let everyone on your team go except your OBM. Yeah. How many people were
0: on your team at that point? So there were three people that okay. I let go. Yeah. Okay. So I we were was- five and now we're two. That was really yeah. hard. Yeah. That was really hard harder for them I'm sure they had to find new jobs but I I feel like like I really hate when someone says like don't want the thing you want because it's going to be harder than you expect like because it, it will and for people who want that like yeah try it out and see yeah. if you like it like yeah. but I do know a lot of course creators that have walked it back and gone back to services because it's just more interesting it's more like I have way more flexibility in my business now And, you know, there are things about it that are wonderful. Like I did feel really good about the jobs that I had provided. And I learned a lot about leadership. Like there is that. But to your point, like I used to spend like 80% of my time doing marketing and 20% doing everything else, including delivery. And now like I get to be with my students, like I'm like 80% delivery when I'm in delivery of my program. Yeah. That's all I'm doing. Like, and I like that. Like I learn with them. Like I'm actually doing the thing that I want to do, which is like write emails, talk about emails, tell stories. So that feels really good. And I'm glad you made it more of a writing experience and
1: mm-hmm. not the like course And I mean, I try to do that with my own program and have like the hands-on. It's not just like a go watch a course and implement on your Mm -hmm. own. Good luck. But I think with copywriting, that's so key because we need that feedback, right? I mean, writing is so so vulnerable and so subjective. So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. I I was really impressed that you scaled that back to 20. And then I I guess I want to talk about your program now while we're at that Mm -hmm. because I just feel like, I see this happening in this space and not a lot of people are talking about it, but I'm seeing more people add services and implementation services. And that makes me wonder if they're kind of like prepping for, you know, recession mm. or or if like the whole marketing thing's about to implode and people are just like over it over the course, mm-hmm. the course like craze. But I'm seeing this happen a lot. So are you doing any copywriting for clients at all? Or are you
0: like completely done with that? No, but I'm considering it. I'm okay. definitely considering it because I've had such a good time delivering to these students. Yeah. Um. So I'm definitely considering doing something like that. I've tried coaching packages where I work with people for like, you know, three to six months on like a funnel or something. Yeah. And I don't know if that's my, if I really want to go back to that, but yeah, I'm thinking about something a little more bespoke with email that okay. I could either write people's emails or work more intimately with them on their emails. But I do want to say like about, I also see more programs with more support. Mm -hmm. And I was very surprised at how my students have like really shown up for all the support that I offered, because I've also noticed that it's rare, like people buy when there's a lot of support, because they're excited about it, and it sounds really good. But they don't always, they rarely, in fact, show up for it. And even when I was planning my email stars program, I had said, I'm going to take 12 people. And my coach, Sonia Simone, she said, Well, why don't you take 20? Because if you take 20, it'll feel like 12. And I was like, Yeah, you're right. That's that's usually the way it goes. Yeah. But for whatever reason, like, no, it didn't work like that for me. Like everybody really showed up. And I think the reason may be it's definitely related to non-coercive selling, because no matter what level of support you're offering, like if you're pressuring people to make a decision and you're causing people to buy things that they really don't need and that won't solve their problems, like they're not going to come they're just not. So, I think a lot of that is the way that I sell now, which is like I give people tons of time to think about it. I let them know that it's coming. I let them know what it's going to cost, how much time they're going to have to make a decision, when it's going to come back again, what the next price might be, like why they should buy now. I will explicitly say like don't buy this if in a million different ways like Last round I did sales, I talked to almost everyone. I did a 15 minute call with at least 50% of the people who joined, I spoke with them. And some people I spoke with, I said, no, don't buy this. So like, it does have to be paired with like taking people who really need to be there. And that is not the launch strategy that people are taught. Like we are taught strategies that will convert the highest number of people address all of the objections even the ones that are valid so yeah i'm really proud of that that i'm offering this thing that people are coming to and you know then when people show up they also get good results and then they come back like actually this is the first time i've been able to offer something where people can like yeah you know, i just finished one round of email stars and i'm starting another one and i have 10 students that have done the program before I think four or five of them, like they just finished and now they've signed up again to continue working with me. And I think that's just a really good sign. Like they know the work that's involved, they understand the value and they're coming back. Like that's another thing about our, you know, like the launch model that we're taught is like when you convert the highest amount of customers, like it's only a low percentage of them that actually show up and do anything because that's the percentage of people that, first of all, like 70% of those people who bought, just bought because they were under so much pressure. So there's only 30% left that are gonna do anything. And then, you know, like there's the 15% that are like really there for it and doing the work. So your rate of, like when I log into email stars, like we've had hundreds of students and I can see what percentage people have gone through And, you know, because of the way we used to market this thing, like, there's a lot of people in there that have only watched a few lessons. There's definitely a massive list of people that didn't even open it. Like, whose responsibility is that? Like, that's mine. I don't want to make people do that, like, ever again.
1: That eats me up, especially, I mean, I don't do a lot of pressure tactics. Like, I do an info session, like, weeks out, and I'm like, this Mm. is what you need to know, Mm -hmm. you know? I'm glad, like, a couple years ago, I would have known about that. I would have done what you mm-hmm.
0: did. Like, do yes. as you're
1: told. This is what's working. Like, follow mm-hmm. the orders. But I, oh, God, I have so many questions. So you moved email stars over from, you were on Teachable, right? And it's on Kajabi. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Okay. So yes. I just want you to know, if you
0: look at my name, it's going to be zero. But I did do all oh. of them. <laughs> That, that is a very Kajabi. good point. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. We did just move like, to
1: Kajabi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want you to like, I know right after this podcast, you're gonna be like, what was Emily Reagan's percentage? Now I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those people that I am careful where I spend my money and then I, I want it yeah. the best and yeah. I got a lot of value out of your Facebook group that you had at the time, which I know isn't open right now, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. you would do these lives. And I can just remember during the pandemic or like listening on my elliptical or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot of value out of that. So I just want to say thank
0: you for that. But wait, let me also say, cause okay. I missed a chance to also brag, like my top students and email stars have logged in hundreds of times. Oh because lovely. something yeah. Yeah, no, hundreds of times because it has so many email examples. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's really cool about my program, the digital part of the program is like you don't have to work through it in a linear way. Like yeah. you can listen to module 5 about promotional strategies without having listened to any previous modules. So people mm-hmm. like dip in and out of it throughout their careers the lifespan of their business, like as they need different things. And so they do come back and come back again and again and again, which is so cool. Yeah. And
1: I don't know anyone else teaching the sequences. And I know me as a new business owner, like A, I'm doing I'm still doing the client work. So there's that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm telling clients like what they need, what emails they need, like what we're missing. Mm-hmm. I give them assignments. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I help them right? But I also need it for my own business. And sometimes when it comes to my own business, it's like, oh gosh, I'm such like a fast start. And I got Mm -hmm. so much value out of like just having a place to start with these sequences and what I Mm -hmm. do. I've taken a couple other courses, so I have some other things too, but like there's so much power in that. And I don't know anyone else really teaching that because let's talk about
0: all the sequences you cover in there. Show up sequences, webinar invite sequences, welcome sequences, onboarding sequences, promo sequences, upsell, book a call, application sequences. Probably I'm a few starting. more that I missed.
1: Yeah. Reengagement was that in there? Reengagement for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. Reengagement and list scrubbing. Those are two separate things. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I
1: remember really liking those two and those mm-hmm. being like some of the first things I implemented for my own business
0: is to get it going on automation. The first time I ran the program, and I'm really glad I did this, I ran it live and I was creating modules week by week. Okay. And what I found in the very first week is that like of my, you know, 12 or 18 students that I took, a lot of them had never scrubbed their list or it was like cold. They didn't know. And so for that reason, the second module in the program is list scrubbing or list hygiene, call it. Cause it's just, if you like, don't really know what you're doing with email marketing, like you probably need to scrub your list. And anyway, it's just a really important part of having a healthy, Healthy deliverability is keeping your list scrubbed.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say it all comes down to the deliverability. And Mm -hmm. I know you have like the training with the pro in there too. Let's nerd out on sequences a little bit here and let's talk about which one's your favorite one to write. Like, which one has like been your bread and butter over the years?
0: Well, promo sequences for sure. Yeah. Obviously, because they're directly tied to a sale. But Mm -hmm. I think what I enjoy the most are welcome sequences. Like, I love the idea of like meeting people for the first time and introducing them to my brand and what it's all about. Actually, I'm working on a new website right now. So I have to go back to my welcome sequence and update it or maybe rewrite it. And I'm really looking forward to that because that's just like my style is like really surprising. And there's just a lot of interesting things about me that people love to learn. And I love storytelling. So there's a lot of room for that in welcome emails. Promo emails like are much lighter for me. And I recommend this to my students, much lighter on the storytelling, like definitely elements of story are really important. Whereas in like a welcome, I mean, okay, we're talking about sequences, but my most favorite favorite is just my weekly nurture emails. Like that's my most favorite, favorite. Okay. Cause that's where I have the most flexibility. I feel like I can do whatever I want. It's like a playground. But after that, like I love welcome sequences because they have the most story. Promo sequences, it's just like so, like to write an email and see sales come in is just such a good feeling. Like email marketing, like, is really the only marketing I do. Like I do podcast interviews. In the past, I ran Facebook ads to grow my list. I don't anymore. I will in the future. Okay. But like this is my primary thing. It's where I spend the most time. And when I'm writing a promo sequence and like I'm seeing it pay off, I'm like, great, this is yeah. the, this is the product of all of that past work.
1: So your emails uh, right now, your nurture weekly emails, like they kind of seem a little bit like all over the place. I know Mm -hmm. things have like changed in your business and you've been promoting email stars, like when this Mm -hmm. podcast comes out too, but like, what is your strategy with that? Like, while you're kind of in this, like, you know, new version of your business and how do you know if these emails are effective and like moving the needle for you? Like, what do you do? And you know what I'm talking about? Like you're in this weird, like gray space when Mm -hmm. you're not like promoting something.
0: Yeah, well, there's a few ways that I gauge how effective they are. I mean, really, you don't know if your nurturing is effective until you put an offer in front of people. True. And do they buy it? If they don't buy it, what you're doing is not working. Either your And that could be because the offer is not right. But Mm. I have been doing email stars for more than five years. I've probably done like eight to 10 launches of this product. Like I know people want it. I also know that my marketing is working based on the level of engagement.
1: Hey, I'm interrupting this podcast real quick to tell you that the Digital Marketers Workgroup is now accepting applications. We're about to open enrollment, and we'd love to join you. If you are offering freelance marketing services, if you're a virtual assistant who's diving into marketing, if you are a marketing specialist, we'd love to have you. This is a tight-knit referral community with job leads, advanced training, support, networking, and encouragement. We'd love to have you. It's by application, so get them in soon. All right, back to the show.
0: So- are people replying? Do they identify with the topics that I'm talking about, which they do? Yes, thank you for saying this. I needed to hear this today. Here's my story. And also, like, I look at who those people are. Like, oh, they're running similar businesses to mine. They would be a good fit for email stars. They're struggling with similar problems. They've been through similar programs. They have similar indoctrination. Like, that's really how I know that it's effective. And if you are a solopreneur, like you really should be the one reading those email replies. Like even just knowing, like I sent this email and it got fifty replies. Like wow, you hit on something really relevant. I sent this other email and it didn't get any replies, or it got ten. And this is of course, don't use those figures as a number. You should aim for. It depends on. Like I have thirteen or fourteen thousand email subscribers, so like on a regular day, I'll get like 20 ish replies okay. to an email. You always on answer a- my questions, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, yeah. Answer them. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about open rates too, if that's one of your questions. Okay. When I let my team go, I sent one or two like very vulnerable emails about this choice that I had made and that what it was and why. And I explained, like I was really in like a very black hole in my life, like dealing with my divorce and all of these things. And I got like a hundred, over a hundred replies. And there's one email that I got like 300 replies between two emails. So really like that was big, big connection with my email subscribers. Like you do not, like people with a list of 300,000 email subscribers don't get that number of replies you know very often so that is i would say my primary like is it working and yeah and then the sales like i take 20 people for email stars so really filling that program with a list of 14000 engaged subscribers should not be difficult like it really shouldn't if you have 300 subscribers and you're trying to get 20 students Well, that's really challenging. Like you're talking about converting almost 10% of your email list. That may not even be possible. And if you want to do that, you have to be way more proactive. You would have to send more emails, probably do sales calls, follow up with people, blah, blah, blah. And even then you probably will end up getting people that really don't need what you're selling. So it is a numbers game in terms of getting the subscribers. So for me, like I had planned out a sequence for this latest round of email stars Like I had planned to send eight emails. I sold out with three, which was great. Yeah, it meant I didn't have to write any of the other ones. It also was a confirmation that this is working in terms of my strategy. Like I sold some of those spots before I sent any promo emails because one thing I'm doing with my newsletters, I'll add like a text box at the top or something at the bottom and just say, hey, like, pre-selling if you want to put down a deposit and reserve your spot like really light you know letting people know it's coming if they already know they want it they can get it so then by the time i actually like opened cart i had probably sold like maybe half the spots already or a third for sure so i'm really proud to say i sold it with three emails but also like come on i have 13 14 whatever the i don't even know how many subscribers i have it's something in that neighborhood and they're nurtured. Like I have a relationship with those people. So yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So for anyone
1: listening, Tarzan does this little box at the top. I don't know why I'm like arm mm-hmm. gesturing now. <laughs> and that is like you're seating your program in your previous, yeah. which is yeah, genius and smart, but I like how you're very like visual with it. Like I like
0: mm-hmm.
1: the, the design of it because you're just like up front. Like that's that's the business yeah. that you are now. And it makes it really easy for people to click or opt out and like know exactly like what
0: your intention is behind all of that. So it also is strategic in that people can skip it because it's obviously promotional and it doesn't take away from the momentum of the story. If you pause in the middle of the story or segue to a weird time, like, oh, I'm offering this thing. It kind of takes away from the email. And what I was taught to do what used to be done, a lot of people still do this with promos is like you would put the opt out at the bottom of the email saying like, click here if you don't want to get any more emails about it. But the thing is, like those people are not reading the email all the way to the bottom, let alone the fine print at the very end. So putting that at the top, like it does two jobs for me. It tells people what's coming, but it also gives people a chance to turn those promo emails off And I save a lot of subscribers. Like I haven't tracked that as diligently as I used to in the past. But when we first made that change, we cut down the number of people unsubscribing during a promotion, like by a vast percentage. It was like more than 75%. Oh God. I love that you Mm -hmm. had that data hmm Yeah. I could give the real number somewhere, but I'd have yeah, to do that. That's it.
1: okay. We, we, we get the point. Huge. So what, very high. Yeah. 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 So what tech do you use right now? What ESP do you use for your emails?
0: Active campaign. Okay, cool.
1: Are you having problems with it
0: recently? Well, here's one. what I have to admit. Okay. When I started with email marketing, I started with ConvertKit. And I strongly recommend that to my students. To anyone who's like not sure what they should get, like just get ConvertKit. It's a great software and like, it's really user-friendly, easy to learn. However, about three, four years into my business, I just wanted to do a lot of things that ConvertKit couldn't do. And we did not make the decision to move to ActiveCampaign lightly at all. We talked about it for a year and we took the migration process very seriously and very slowly cuz by then i probably had 7 or 8000 email subscribers and you know when you switch servers you have to like your sender reputation like you don't get to take it with you so a lot of people their deliverability really plummets when they move to active campaign and by then my online business manager had mostly taken over everything in ConvertKit already. Okay. Actually, not mostly like a hundred percent. I was like logging in now and then if I wanted to make like a last minute edit to an email, but she completely spearheaded the transition to active campaign. And I do not log into active campaign ever, ever in email stars. We used to offer technical support And so we had Sandra in there. We had a MailChimp expert. Sandra knows a lot of systems because she has clients and a lot of experience with different systems. So we used to offer technical support and we would answer a lot of questions. And now I specifically say, like, I'm very well versed in email marketing. I know what you can do and what you can't do. However, if you're asking me how to create a specific segment or do some conditional formatting or like whatever, Like I can't answer those questions. And that is like, you know, people talk about like leaning into your zone of genius. Like Sandra is amazing at Active Campaign. Like she can figure out how to do anything I ask her to do. I'm really great at storytelling. I'm really great at selling. I'm really good at writing emails. And I'm like leaning into that and have leaned so far away from the back end support that I will probably never do it again.
1: I love it. And this is not what the ahead. audience needs to hear because sometimes mm. they're questioning like, do I bring value to the
0: table? And, mm. you know, huge. Like, yes. Yeah, oh, that is God. huge. Because, you know, it, it's just a totally different part of the brain. Like Ooh. most people are not good at both. Like Sandra, you know, she runs all the tech in my business. And I am amazed at how good her emails are. And she's like really practiced. And both of her, most her two major clients are both copywriters. So, you know, she's read thousands of emails that we've written. Me and Laura Belgray, Laura's public about that too. We both work with her. So, you know, Sandra has learned that, but I think like, that's an exception. It's really rare. I, I have one student in my, that just did email stars and she's just like a whiz with technical things. Like she does, like, as you know, all these different programs and she brings me her emails and they're so good. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, it's just very rare. She's the, the unicorn, unicorn yes, <laughs> right. That's right, yes, yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Well, you're so mm. good at making your your stories very personal and uh, bingeable, you know? Mm. So, like, A, how do you do that? And B, how can we bring a piece of that back over to the sequences? So like they do that because like your nurture content is, you know, so good and like does that. But like the sequences, I think, are where people
0: struggle. Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think that's why you can't just do one or the other. Like you do have to do both. Like nurturing is relationship building. Nurturing is where you get to know me. And my philosophy of email marketing and online business. And when you are writing promo emails, like that's where you talk about the product. You have to actually lean into like benefits and features and what's included. And there are some elements of story, but in promo emails, like I will tell stories about my customers way more than I tell stories about myself. And in those, like, I'm just thinking about an email I wrote about my friend who's an online business owner, Bobby Klink, and he has so much personality. And we had like just a really fun time working together in email stars. And I told a story about how, what was the story? I wish I could remember. I don't know. Some embarrassing story about why he thought like my emails sucked and then he learned how to make, I don't even know. Like it was just a silly story and it showed me in relationship with someone that was like positive for both of our businesses. You know, so there's a bit of me, but it was also really a a student success story. So that is something I do more in my promo emails. You know, in promo emails, I use more like bullet lists you know, more bullet lists and formatting and to make them scannable and get the information across. But, you know, they still have personality. Like they still have, like one thing that I think is really important for any business owner, any business, especially online business, because there's so much writing, is to have a style sheet of like the types of words that you use. It can even include like how you use grammar and punctuation, like that is all style and is deliberate and carries through to all of your emails. Like I might reference like something funny about myself in passing in a promo email that I told a story about in my nurture email. Like they have to work together. And okay. by, that's why we nurture people so that like by the time the promo goes out, they're like ready. They know whether or not they want to work with you. Now they just need to learn if the product is what they
1: need. Oh my gosh, that's good. Can you give me another example of a style for you? Just so my DMAs can hear this, see this, and then start creating this for their clients if they don't have one already.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. What goes on a style sheet? So, you know, my style sheet has things like Tarzan prefers M dashes instead of N dashes and she (laughs) uses them like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's more of a punctuation thing, but like words. And this can actually also be connected to your personal or your business values around inclusion and accessibility. Like, you know, we always use alt text for images so that it can be read by a screen reader. We always capitalize Black, Indigenous. We do not capitalize White, You know, there are definitely some values based choices that are really important in the style sheet. And things like gender, too. Like, when you talk, how do you talk about gender? What assumptions do you like? There are a lot of default assumptions built into our writing. Like, as an example, in a lot of media and books and stories, like characters who are not white are like, we only describe skin color of people of color. And we don't mention that when we're writing about white people. So the assumption is like, if it's not specified, like an example is like sitting on a bench were three people, two of which were black women. So then we, the default assumption there is, I guess the other people are white guys. Um, so that's really important in your language. And, you know, for those of you that have an audience, it's like, well, I just like actually serve men well, that's fine. Then you're going to refer to your people as men and use those pronouns. So, you know, that's something on a style sheet too. It does indicate who you serve. And this is not so much a style sheet thing, but also like there could be topics that you come back to and talk about. Like for me, you know, there are some things about me that come up that are unique like what could I give as an example well like my history with cults and coercive control like that's something that I wouldn't necessarily talk about in a promo sequence if I hadn't discussed it before I am a queer person so that might like come up in my language and stories that I tell yeah I also use drugs recreationally and therapeutically that sometimes comes up so like you know, core stories, like themes you come back to, like, that's not a style sheet thing, but it is good to have somewhere in terms of, like, these are the things that are important. And those things also can bring some of that personality into the promo sequence without actually doing a lot of storytelling. I'm glad you, that was one of my questions. You're just, like, nailing everything with, like, what are your personality pillars? Because
1: uh, You know, obviously, yeah. I pick up on these themes, and sometimes they like the cult, you know, can tie into like cohesiveness and persuasion, but I'm glad you brought that up. Okay. So I have a couple specific email questions for you Mm. that I just like love to hear what other copywriters say. So first, what is like the must have, like Tarzan K's must have email for the promo sequence. Like what's the one you like have to add that like makes it special, unique, like, you know, Mm.
0: yourself. Yeah. So there's two actually. The first is who is it for? Who is it not for? Okay. And by the way, I learned both of these from another copywriter, Rye Schwartz. So who is it for? Who is it not for? And then the second one is an FAQ. Okay. And uh, people assume a lot about the person reading the emails, one of which is that like they clicked through to the sales page or that they scrolled to the bottom and got to the FAQ. So, you know, the FAQ can address like the most important objections, like how much time is this going to take? Like how long before I see results? I don't know. Like, will it work for me if I have this type of business? Um, so that can be in the FAQ. But the who is it for? Who is it not for? Yeah. Specifically, like you just like everybody thinks that they're the exception. It's rare. Someone that's like, oh yeah, Tarzan built this email stars thing exactly for me. Like, I'm a personal brand. I have an online course. Like, I teach this thing. You know, I have this many subscribers, blah, blah, blah. Like, it, you know, if I say, like, here are five criteria that are going to make you a good candidate, like, you really only need to fit into like two or three of those categories. Like, a few people are going to hit all five, but you know, the who is it for? Who is it not for? Should have those five things so for me it could be it's like you sell online courses or services you are a personal brand you want to figure out how to be persuasive without being coercive you have an email list of at least a few hundred subscribers i don't know what the fifth thing is but like you know really clear so that i can read the email and be like yes that's me that's me that's me What people often have done in the past, which I've seen with that email, and I do not like this, I think it's very coercive. It's like, you are serious about growing your business. (laughs) You are ready to invest in yourself and up-level your whatever. You know, things that are like aspirational and people want to identify with, they're like, or more specifically, they don't want to be that person who is not serious about their business. Like, well, I am serious, so I better buy this thing. Otherwise, like if I don't click on this thing, it means I'm not serious. And like, what if I am not serious? Like, am I not serious? Like maybe I'm not a real like And then I just have to like click the buy button to like make this uncomfortable feeling go away. So this is not that. Okay. And the more specific you can be about who it will work for and who it will not work for, well, like, that is honesty and transparency in marketing. And that is the opposite of coercion.
1: Okay. All right. Let's have a coaching moment here because I get a bunch of people on my email list who decide not to move forward. Like they just mm-hmm. decide this is like not the thing. That's not the time, you know? And so I have said that. Help me with what I mean. Mm-hmm. What I mean mm-hmm. is someone who's ready to move forward with their business. Like how can I
0: word that where it's not gross? Well, I really don't like the idea of readiness because readiness, first of all, we all get the message of start before you're ready. Like that's a whole sales pitch in itself, which I don't think is helpful. And then the idea that you're not ready, like, well, you may never be ready. This may just not be the product for you ever. And like readiness is like, it's like we're trying to make everyone on the email list a customer by putting them in the categories of ready, not ready. So I think another way to say that is like, if this isn't the right fit for your business right now, I don't know anyway what comes on the end of that for you, but like just ready, like I'm, I'm throwing that word For me personally, like that would go on my style sheet. Like I do not use the word ready or not ready. It's like, this is either a fit for you right now. It maybe will be a fit for you in the future, or maybe it will never be a fit for you. And here is all the information you need in order to know which category you fit into well, thank you. I mean, I'm always
1: trying to segment. I'm always trying to humanize. I'm always trying to give yeah. options and I address them. Yeah. And not the only option. Some yeah. people might need want to be bookkeepers and that's, I'm not your girl. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I just made me kind of think about that. I'm like, oh, I wonder how I worded that in my last email. I'm going to have to go back and check it <laughs> <Yeah>. out.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, I should also say, a lot of these words and phrases, like we're just, we hear them over and over. So then we start using them ourselves. And it's not until like, I am flagging this because I had was in having a conversation with my bestie just a couple of months ago. And I was talking about how I wasn't ready to buy something that I bought. And she was like, but wait, 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 like, what is this ready thing? And then I started thinking about it and realizing that I don't want to use that language anymore. And there'll be other things like there will be things that I'm saying today in this interview. And six months from now, I will not say those things anymore. I'll know something that feels like better for me.
1: Yeah. That's so beautiful to hear because we're evolving. I know I am. I know my, my students are, and it's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you're doing such a good job walking it back and then, like, being a leader in this position. Even the, the conversation you just said about style sheet, you know, how to add your values in there is like genius. Cause I know when I'm writing, I think that, like, oh, mm-hmm. I need to say they, but I've never articulated that to my team. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. why not? Like, duh. Like, I already have some of this on there. It's like,
0: not kept that very well. (laughs) but Yeah. My style sheet's way outdated. And because I do all of my own writing, like a lot of that's really in my head, but you know, for anyone who's writing a book, like a hundred percent necessary, the book's going to get passed off to an editor. If you ever want to work with a copywriter in the future, like the more you're on top of that, the better a copywriter will be able to figure that out. And a copy, like a good copywriter can actually create that for you. like. A copywriter could look if you have a history of writing, like my style sheet. Like someone created it for me, and he went through like so much of my writing and like codified all the things that I was already doing. So, did he work um, with Justin? For, yeah, I yeah, did. Yes, yeah. And I was like, Blackley. I think I know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Also, we have him on a previous podcast. He was one of my OGs. He did my show a long time ago. So, yeah, well, I'll so smart. Though. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so before we wrap it up, I just wanted a little insight into your writing process. And mm-hmm. can you uh, fill us all in in your private podcast, Tarzan Reads Her Emails, and tell us how that writing oh. like, private podcast happens. And is that still
0: going on, right? I think I just- Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I just recorded an episode yesterday. Yeah. This was an idea of one of my former employees that I record an audio version of my emails. So this the podcast is called Tarzan Reads Her Emails. And when you subscribe to my emails, like you either be redirected to a page where you can, there's like a QR code and it, and you can listen to my emails in like Spotify, Apple, basically wherever you listen to emails, but it's not listed, it's private. So you won't, you can't just Google it or you can't just look it up on Apple podcasts. So I record those every week and it's just like a really fun Thing that I do. And I like, I also want to do better at accessibility. So I like that I have this option for people. Also, every one of my newsletter emails, like there's a thing at the bottom, there's a link to go get it on your phone. And, you know, I don't even know how many subscribers we have. Like, I don't even know if it's like really quote unquote working. So it's not something I go around telling people to do, but it is like, I definitely do a lot of things in my business that I'm like, this is fun. I really like it. It makes me feel good. And it takes me five minutes to record, like, let's say under 10 minutes to record and edit the podcast in GarageBand. And then, you know, someone else on my team uploads it, which is probably another five minutes. Like that's the total cost of the private podcast. Oh my God, and we also awesome. have that for all of our programs have private podcast versions, which that I love. Like, I hate when programs don't have that. Like, cause I just want to listen on the go always. Oh my God. I did
1: that this last session. I, except for I slacked on the last two it, cause I needed to do it, but yeah, I yeah. put all of our live calls because I'm the same. Like I'm going to walk around soccer practice. And I might as well listen yeah. to something. I don't want to be like watching mm-hmm. them live. So, okay. For your courses, like what is in the private podcast? Is it the extra calls or is it the course?
0: the course it's the course yeah it's the course yeah Yeah. the calls we have another system which i love we use Mm searchy and with searchy this is like i didn't even ask her to do this i can't believe she did this sandra's team live calls are automatically organized as like a playlist and then we make chapters so like if someone asks a question like that's a chapter Or it's like Tarzan reviews a sales email, and you can click around. Uh, You don't have to watch the whole call. You can watch the parts that are important to you. When I used to run it as a larger group program, I would say, like, if I was editing your email, I would be like, okay, now I'll be editing Emily Reagan's sales email, and then you could go into Searchy and search your name, and Searchy would pull up like to the minute. Where I started talking about your email, and you could just like watch your own review. Yeah. So you can still do that with our with ours too, but we do the reviews differently. People get personal reviews, and they get them like behind the scenes. So they don't have to be there for like the full hour, like hunting for the point in place no. where they're you know they're in the no hot seat. no. They hot submit top. an email, and then they will come back and find like a link with a Loom review of their email. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Search is great for that. I've also seen where people give like code words, like if
1: they have a common name, like, you know, bacon noodle, and then (laughs) they can go like look for that. I don't know why that Mm -hmm. word popped up. I must be hungry. Mm -hmm. Well, my last question is about your writing process and how far advanced you're writing and like what that looks like with your team. If you could provide insight on that. And like, I'm dying to know, are you like writing things on the fly? Are you planned out? What does it look
0: like? Oh, I am a big planner and I do Talk to my students about this a lot. And I do get consistent feedback from them saying, like, when they do it this way, it makes their launches so much less stressful. So, when I was doing more highly advanced, highly technical launches, like, I would start writing the emails probably two months out. And I would start with webinar invitations. I would move on to webinar show up emails. And then I would do the promo emails. I do leave gaps so that like, even now, so now I write things, I'll tell you about my newsletters in a second, but for promos, like I write all of my promo emails about a week in advance, but I also leave a few gaps so that I can address things that are coming up. Okay. So, and that's really important in launches because you'll be like, oh man, everybody's asking about this or like, they are not understanding that this thing is included. So you definitely want to have space to address things in the moment but giving yourself lots of time like my hope is that if you're doing cart open cart close model that all of the emails are written uploaded and scheduled like at least a week before they need to go out and then when you're actually in promotional phase like you can focus on like talking to people those things that really make a big difference because uh, it's stressful to try and do that and write emails at the same time so That, you know, in the new iteration of my business, like, you know, I had planned to write eight emails. I wrote three because I also had a sense that like, I might not need to write anymore. Okay. Um, I was going to (laughs) ask. Yeah. 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 And now like we had planned a downsell for the end of the month, but now we're bumping it way up because we're done selling. So, you know, now I'm going to be writing a little more on the fly, but in general, I don't do that. And with my newsletter... I have a day that I write my newsletter used to be Tuesday. Now it's Wednesday. So Tuesday's email, the email that people will get next week, I will be writing the previous week on Wednesday. So I write it on Wednesday. It goes out the following Tuesday, which gives Sandra and her team almost a full week to get it uploaded. I mean, for me, just like out of respect for her, That's a really important deadline for me, one of my most important. And occasionally, like I was off work last week and I asked permission before I went off work because I was scrambling to get the promo emails written that would go out while I was off. And I said, and also just a million deadlines. And so I said, hey, Sandra, would it be okay if I write the email for Tuesday after I come back? Can I write it on Monday? And she said, yes, that's the exception. So five days out, five to seven days out. And that also gives me time. So to be honest, like it's due on Wednesday, but if like, I usually will start it on Tuesday. Cause one thing that I recommend for my students is like, it's nice to have a day just to let it sit. Like you'll probably come back if you are the person uploading the email absolutely. You are not writing, uploading, sending on the same day. Like you will make mistakes. There will be grammatical errors. It won't look good for you. So, you know, if you're the one sending it out, you know, maybe you don't need seven days advance, but you do need a day to write the email, go back the next day, polish it up, read it with fresh eyes where you'll spot grammatical errors and then send it out at a minimum. It sounds like you're a good dream client. Laura Belgrade, on the other hand, had a
1: completely different story. (laughs) Self-confessed, profess nightmare client. No, she was, she was funny about she was funny about. It. I was like, that's my subject line right there. Laura self confessed
0: nightmare. nightmare client. That's <laughs> great.
1: It's due Thursday. I'm gonna get on it. But no, I'm glad to hear that. And we do need that time. And I've learned, like, if I've helped like over a hundred clients behind the scenes, like I hate Monday emails. I don't want to work on the weekend clients like wait till Mm -hmm. the last minute. So it's like getting in that good workflow. So it's always insightful to hear that. So thank you.
0: Yeah. And actually, you know, Sandra and I were figuring out how to work together in this new iteration of my business. It's only been about six months. Mm -hmm. And she did come to me like a month ago and she was like, Hey, what you're doing right now, like, isn't really working for me. Like we need to figure out a new process because you're throwing all this last minute stuff at me. And I don't know what you're doing. So we had to solve that problem. So I think it's really important to like, be able to have those conversations with your clients or the, you know, people who are providing services to you. Like those process, you don't just have to like, take what you get. Like you ask.
1: Yeah. She's going to be on the show, but I admire her. Coming to you and saying that because she wants yeah. the best for you, she wants to give you the best services. Mm-hmm. You're working so hard on this email, mm-hmm. like let's make sure it gets open and it looks right, and there's no mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mistakes yeah. happen. I mean, I worked with a pretty big client. I think you might know who she is, but like it was Hot Mess Express every freaking week, and like mistake. That's when the mistakes happen. Oh, and then I'm like, it's <laughs> your fault, man. <laughs> okay, I don't need to get on that box. Okay. <laughs> Tell us when Email Stars opens again and the best place to connect with you.
0: So my email list is where I do my best work. So there are some freebies on my website, but get the emails. Like If you go to tarzank.com slash email, you can join my list just to join my list. And you'll get newsletters from me within a week or so. There's a bit of a welcome sequence there. So that's really the best place. Like, I'm on Instagram as a lurker, but like, it's embarrassing how long I haven't posted. I'm solving that problem soon, but like, email is the place, obviously. And right now, I think email stars probably won't come back until the fall. Usually, I have the date set by the time I stop promoting the other thing, but. I don't know like I'm trying things in my business. I'll probably do like a more broad copywriting mentorship in the summer oh. that will be more for people who want to talk also talk about landing pages and you know have a little more space to talk about different types of copy, their offers and promotional strategy. Um so I think I'm going to do that in the summer and then email stars will come back in the fall. So like September ish. Okay. Is my cool. guess and I think it will probably cost about $2,500. There'll be a price for alumni that's less, but that's all sort of to be figured out. Yeah. I kind of
1: have some, you know, TBDs for my future
0: (laughs) pricing Mm -hmm. and everything. I'm like, I just, honestly, I
1: don't know guys. So sorry. Yeah. Okay. Parting words. Can you just speak to somebody who is starting off in copywriting? Like what's your best advice right now to like, you know,
0: to get better at copywriting and step into this new role? Yeah, well, probably the most important thing you can do for yourself is just to write consistently. And I think a weekly email is a great way to do that. It's a great way to develop a body of work and figure out the sorts of things you like to talk about, the sorts of things people want to hear about. And it doesn't matter if there's only five people reading them, like that's five people and you're practicing, Uh, but really like consistency, whatever it is, like the best Writers, like the writers you love the most, like they write. That's how they got better at it by writing. There is no other way. Like I have written thousands of emails. That's why I'm good at it. So, you know, whatever that looks like to you, like I know Laura's big on 750 words, 750 words.com. And I think that's a practice from uh what's it called? The Artist's Way, Julia Cameron's book about creativity. So whatever your consistent practice is, like I used to do, there's a creative writing company like in Toronto called Firefly. They have something called morning coffee sessions. And it's like a half hour call and you get a prompt and you just write for like 15 or 20 minutes or something. The more you can write, the better you'll get at it. And of course, like take courses. There's like lots of great classes, but you will not get better at it by watching videos and buying more programs like you will get better at it by doing it and it's actually okay that it's okay and normal that you're that it's initially like not awesome you have to i write a lot of not awesome stuff as well but i have a really high volume so and a lot of experience so now there's a lot of awesome but trust me like there's a lot of not awesome so just go forward and even writing things that are not awesome like requires like so much bravery and will put you Like, you know, just being willing to do that because most people aren't. So that's my advice. Oh, my God. I loved it. That was a great soundbite.
1: Okay. Thanks for joining us, Tarzan. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the show. I hope you learned so much. I hope your eyes are going in aware and you're in the know and you are making every effort to be more inclusive. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please tag Tarzan and I over on Instagram? She says she's going to get more active over there, so let's test her out. Tag her, thank her, let us know what you've learned. If you could give this podcast a review, that would be super helpful. But more importantly, if you're finding this podcast helping you between building your own business and doing the client work, would you please tell a friend? Would you please refer a friend? That would make my heart the most happy. It would help me out the most. This podcast is dedicated to helping the people behind the scenes get better, do better, be smarter. I really need your help telling more people about it. Next week on the show, we're going to wrap up our copywriting series. Get your applications in for the Digital Marketers Workgroup. Our enrollment window will be closing soon, and I would love to see your name come through. I would love to be referring you work, meeting with you on Zoom happy hours, and helping you in your business and encouraging you, and learning from you too. We're really creating a collaborative community where we all support each other, refer each other, and help. That's called a unicorn blessing. So get your applications in. The link is in the show notes. All right, I'll see you next week. If you want to start earning income as a digital marketing service provider or digital marketing assistant, you only need your laptop. You can tap into what online business owners really need help with by downloading my top 10 most requested tasks these are the services I did for years for my clients behind the scenes. You can take this download and apply it to your own business and start by offering these very same services. If you want to niche down in digital marketing, this is your guide. Just use the link in the show notes or go to emilyreaganpr.com services.
0: Well, wow. okay. All right. is that it? I thought yeah, you were that was it. How we're gonna start. That's it. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, save save that for the blooper reel. Right. Yeah. I do blooper. Are we doing this? Is this yes. thing on? We're doing okay. it.